Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up no matter what they went through. And all of my guests have survived incredible circumstances. And as a result, they have the passion to help others who may be going through something similar. And if you have listened to the show before, you know that these stories are about extraordinary circumstances that have been overcome by ordinary people. And that's what makes it so special. Some have overcome extreme poverty and turned out to be successful multimillionaires. Some have overcome abuse in many different forms and turned out to be someone who could help others going through similar situations. Some have overcome serious depression or disease, and now they have learned how to live free from fear and pain. Each and every one of them is a fighter and a winner, and they want to share their story to give you tips and insights and how we can all overcome any type of trauma we may be faced with. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries, which just shows me every day that no matter where we are in this world, the message of hope is one that is needed. And so we are trying to give that message to in a variety of ways so that each of our listeners can take something from it. I want to also thank each and every one of my guests who have shared their stories and, of, co- of course, the listeners, because without the listeners, we wouldn't be a success. And so I thank you for your feedback and everything that you have contributed as well. With me, I have Lori Gano. She is a speaker, a teacher, and an author. Lori has a passion for broken women. She was a broken woman. And this is going to be her story. And now she goes into the trenches to help restore these women in rebuilding their shattered lives. But she has a unique twist on this because Lori had a career as a licensed general contractor and owner of a residential design and build construction company. And this actually inspired her when she was restoring homes that she could also be an avenue to help restore lives. That's quite the motivation, and this is what she's going to share among many other things today. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much. Now, Lori, you were born into a difficult situation. 
You had a difficult family life. You had to struggle through abuse, neglect, PTSD, panic disorders, anorexia. And to top it off, you had parents who were alcohol dependent and severely mentally ill. So you had quite the baggage coming into this world. Can you tell us a little bit about your life growing up? Yes, absolutely. Um, my biological father was schizophrenic. Um, he had been in the Air Force, and when he and my mother married, and he did two tours in Vietnam, and you know he left, I think, somewhat unstable. That was uh, before I was born, but when he came back, and uh, after his second tour, especially, he was so severely unstable, and we really began to see uh, paranoid outburst, um, erratic behavior. Uh, he was very violent, very rage-filled, and there was a whole lot of abuse in our home, and he himself was an alcoholic and um, of all of the crazy episodes of abuse that we could talk about there was one in particular that really made an impression in my heart and in my life and um, and it really began a walk of devastation for me above all of the others and it was the oddest occurrence Um, I remember being very young I was five or six years old my father was sitting in his recliner in our living room and he was eating a hot dog from his plate with a fork and I approached him to ask for a bite of it and when I asked for that bite um, he began to feed me bites of that hot dog but he would stab me over and over in the back of the throat until I vomited and that left such a permanent impression in my heart and as things continued to spiral out of control in our home it was such a dark place because uh, as you mentioned My parents struggled with depression. He struggled with severe mental illness, alcohol. My mother became alcohol dependent. She was also prescribed um, very serious antipsychotics and antidepressants. And drinking with those um, just completely vacuumed her of her personality and her ability to mother her children. And then my younger brother was diagnosed um, with some very similar things, and he was in and out of treatment facilities and hospitals his entire childhood and um, it was such a dark arena to be raised in and there was so much confusion and so as I grew and matured um, I began to operate out of the only thing I knew which was fear and and I mean not a little bit of fear Everything was was consumed by fear. I was afraid of people. I was afraid of adults, of children my age. I was afraid of being at school. Um, I was afraid of the way different relationships interacted and worked. Um, But my mother and father ended up divorcing. And when that happened, that stage of... Um, trying to mature past the confusion and, you know, we want to think that when our parents divorce in a situation like that, that maybe it would bring a reprieve. Maybe it would bring um, a, an absence of the fear, but I think it just created more confusion for me for a bit before I could settle into um, feeling that that moment of um, a sigh of relief. And I believe that as soon as 
as I started to think, oh, you know, it seems a little bit safer, he came back into our lives because he married uh, a very young woman. She was 18 or 19 years old, and uh, she wanted to have children. And she began stalking us because he had convinced her that we were uh, being abused in, in the home and that he was going to take us. So she began stalking us, and it, it started a period of my life that we called Kidnap Watch, or I called Kidnap Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wasn't allowed to go anywhere without some type of chaperone or some type of security or something to make sure that um, I was safe or that my brother was safe if it was a period of time that he was at home. And as I continued to age through that, I was probably about nine when that was happening, um, I began to, to have, and I didn't know what it was at the time then, but I began to have panic attacks or, or um, anxiety attacks. And those anxiety attacks began to grow and to grow and to grow daily. And it went from having these occurrences that probably happened once a month or so to happening once a week and then to happening daily. And by the time I made my way into high school, um, I had not developed any strong friendships. I was too afraid of people. Um, The situation with my mother and my brother had not developed any. They were still very much wrestling with their demons. And um, my mother's still very alcohol dependent. She was like a walking zombie. She was absolutely checked out. Uh, She didn't know how to be a mother. And so I was the mother. I was the caretaker of our house. And eventually she had to sign my brother over as a ward of the state because we could no longer fund the medical... um, parts of this treatment and so as you can imagine her depression became worse and worse there was a a time where she was suicidal and and not only suicidal but she had planned out how she was going to take her life and my and my brother's life along with hers and so by the time I hit high school this panic disorder had developed um, fully where Daily, I was having anywhere between, you know, one and 20 panic attacks a day, and it was debilitating. I had a horrible car accident um, when I was 16 in high school, and that spiraled me right back. It was that moment where I realized, you know what, I don't have control over anything. I don't have control over a thing in my life, and I don't see how anything good is going to come from my efforts toward anything. And my anxiety linked back to that moment of my father in that recliner stabbing me in the back of the throat with that fork. And my anxiety attached itself to throwing up. And so I would begin a struggle at that time that lasted about 16 years with anorexia. Um, or what looked like anorexia to the outside world. What it really was was this phobia of vomiting. Um, But because I was so, so terrified of getting sick, um, and really it was that terror of a lack of control, but I had attached it to getting sick, I began to starve myself. And in that first month after that car wreck, I lost about 30 to 40 pounds, and then I continued underweight, grossly underweight for 16 years to the point that I began to lose my hair, I began to lose my teeth. Um, it was absolutely horrible. 
Carol, really what begins to connect my story from this home that I was raised in to a place where I stand today where I am so incredibly passionate about reaching women in order to help them be pointed toward hope was a bracket of my life that happened as I began to settle into a life of panic disorder because I was so filled with fear and I felt so unworthy and so unloved and so unaccepted by everyone around me that I began, of course, to set my eyes on men. And at the age of 16, now I had barely, barely turned 16 because this is the month of that um, wreck that I had. I had just turned 16 and I met a man who was almost 20. And he was the first one who would tell me that I was beautiful. And he was the one who would do things for me. And he would tell me that he loved me. And that was all it took for me to begin a lie of this false love and false acceptance. And it spread like a wildfire through me. And before I knew it, I had lowered every standard that I had set for myself. And I became physically involved with him, and immediately he began to drag me into a world of deep darkness that spiraled out of control for several years. It didn't take long for him to manipulate me to be involved in physical relationships with people. I had no regard for uh, marriage. I had no regard for gender. I had no regard for anything at that time. And he was absolutely driving through every pit you could imagine. What was so saddening to me about that whole time period was that it didn't take too long for me to harden my heart against everyone, against the world from that because I had been used and abused and I, I reached a place where I stood hard-hearted on that platform of abuse and uh, false love and lies and I began to fully take on the role that he had put me in. He didn't need to pressure me anymore because I was going to do just fine on my own continuing the lifestyle that he was so eager to root me in and after five years of being with him, I finally left him, but only to continue on my own path of destruction. And I was destroying myself, I was destroying others, I was destroying marriages, and hatred grew like a weed through me. Um, I despised both men and women, and I was then living with some of the most lost and the most evil uh, people and friends that you could imagine. My friends and my partners were pagans and Wiccans and witches and warlocks. Um, strippers, felons, fugitives, drug addicts, abusers, people that were so filled with rage and no regard for honorable or respectful living. And it continued to just strip every part of me. And then that's where I have to pause because this is the moment where God opens my eyes. I was 16 when that panic disorder started, and I began to send my life off into a path of darkness. And I was 23 uh, the day that I met my husband. And the day that I met my husband was the day that I began to see some light in the darkness that I had lived in. Well, that is quite remarkable because there are many people, I'm sure, and, and especially because of what you're going to share later regarding the passion that you have for helping broken women now, that to hear a story of such 
a sad, heartbreaking tale of a child growing up under these circumstances and to be able to turn her life around is not something that you hear of every day. And so I really appreciate that you shared that part of your life. But now we're 23 years old and you got married. You met the man and this totally changed your life. Tell us about that. (laughs) You know, you can imagine that... Coming out of what I had come out of, I certainly was not in a place of um, goodness or uprightness. And I met this man. He had come in to work for me. Now, Carol, I want you to know that while I was a hot mess in regards to relationships and fear and um, every facet of my emotional life uh, outside or my physical life, but everything outside of business and trying to strive for success, I was a complete shipwreck. But business was the one place where I created this false identity of believing that if I could make myself successful enough in business, then that would mean that I was acceptable to people. And so I really worked hard to push myself in that place of business. And I had moved out on my own when I was 17 and bought my first house when I was 18. It was a little fixer-upper, and that's where I caught the bug for construction. I had rented that house out to some of my friends, and you heard what quality people I had for friends, (laughs) and they they destroyed that house. And so I had gotten in in an argument with my stepfather out there, and he was determined that he was going to loan me the money to fix the house and I was going to pay him back. And I said, you are not going to loan me the money. I'm going to fix this house myself. And in the street, no joke, uh, we were in a shouting match and he was making sure that I knew that I didn't know what I was doing and there was no way I could do it. Well, thank you so much. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do. Right. So I got into construction because I wanted to prove my stepfather wrong. (laughs) Um, So I had worked in business um, in construction part-time and then also in restaurant and retail management for several years, and I met my husband because he worked for me. And the funny part of that story is, Carol, that uh, I actually fired him for uh, some of his attitude and behavior (laughs) in the company. But um, he came back in, and he was dressed in regular street clothes, and I thought, well, this is an attractive guy. And you have to understand, in the place that I was, my plan would have been to use him and manipulate him and move him to the side and go on to the next one. But something amazing happened um, in that I asked him out. First of all, that is amazing that I asked (laughs) him out. I want him to know that. Um, But... It was really incredible in that there was a connection on that night that we went out on that date. And I saw a light in him that I had not seen in so many years. And I had given my life over to God when I was 13 in the midst of that incredible darkness. And I saw the light of what he was and who he was and what he had to offer me. But I didn't know what it meant to live a life for God. And and so I continued to walk out the mess that I was in during that time. But when I met my husband, I saw that light again. I saw something different in him that I had not seen in a man in years, and it absolutely drew me to him. Now, again, I was a hot mess, so you can imagine I didn't go in being wife of the year, um, <laughs> but we we met, we dated for five weeks, 
and then we got married. We are the poster children for what <laughs> not to do. <laughs> um, but it began a journey back toward restoration for me. And when we got married, I know, I know that I know that God knew what I needed because I had my foot, one foot out the door right after we were married. In fact, I had already had an affair. Um, I, I was, I had seen a glimpse of his anger and I didn't like it. I didn't want to go back to that place. And, um, and I didn't want to be a part of this marriage. And, you know, I didn't know really what the goodness of marriage could hold. I didn't, I didn't understand what it meant to sacrifice and to serve and to be part of a union with someone where it's not all about me. And, uh, and those were some steps that I needed to walk through in order to grow in my integrity and character. And so God knew that I was about to jump ship on this. And I wound up um, pregnant right into uh, six months into our marriage. And it was supposed to be impossible for me to get pregnant. I'm a carrier of cystic fibrosis on both gene strands. And um, I was told that I would not be able to ever have children. And so when I found out that I was pregnant that early in, I knew that I was being locked into this deal because I wouldn't <laughs> go anywhere knowing that I was about to have a child with this man. And so that was the grit that I needed to hold on. And boy, we have held on because we're 17 years in now with a 16-year-old daughter. Share the rest of that story about your, your twins and your uh, the loss that you endured. That's absolutely right. You know, my hope was when I got married and I met this man and I began to understand that there was a God who loved me and who had been pursuing me. And when I say pursuing me, there are some incredible stories that I can tell you, one especially from those dark years of running around with some very dark people. But um, I, I really thought that this now means that it's going to be bubbles and sunshine and the birds are going to sing and life is going to be wonderful because now I've decided that I'm going to stay married. I'm going to have this baby and, and things are going to be wonderful. That's not at all what happened because I needed a refining work in my life. I needed something to begin to dig away at those ugly parts of me that I had let consume me. And that was going to be a process. And so in the first year that we were married, we were pregnant, and we were pregnant with twins, and one twin is in heaven celebrating, and I have one precious um, daughter that's still here with me now, and that was devastating. That year, we lost my husband's mother to leukemia. I had lost my job because of the high-risk pregnancy. I could not work, and then we lost our home. We wound up in bankruptcy. We ended up moving into a trailer that his mother owned before she passed away that was um, very broken down. And a few weeks, five weeks, I believe, after our daughter was born, we were hit by a drunk and drugged driver, and it totaled the one car that we had. And we had that one car because we had sold all of our clothing, all of our furniture, everything that he and I had accumulated as single people. We had sold it in order to have that car after the bankruptcy. And so this drunk and drugged, uninsured driver 
had totaled it. And so my husband began walking back and forth to work. And you want to talk about being stripped of everything in order to get you back to ground level so that you can learn who you are and what your purpose is um, and, and what direction you need to go. That's where I found myself. I like that. Stripped of everything in order to get back to ground level. How were you doing emotionally and mentally at this point considering all the things that you had to overcome? It was such a difficult time. I was still struggling with anorexia. And, and again, that was really fear of being sick. And so it it uh, spilled into everything. It's not confined to just I'm afraid if I'm sick or someone else is sick. You know, I, I didn't want to eat food other people had prepared. I didn't want to touch things. I didn't want to be in confined spaces. So no elevators. I wouldn't go on a cruise. I wouldn't fly in a plane. I didn't want to ride as a passenger in a car. I couldn't even pull into a drive through line where you couldn't pull out of the line because what if? Everything was this huge what if. And so my life was still consumed daily by that anxiety. And for several years, I struggled wondering if it had been my fault that I had lost that twin because I was not eating in the way that I should. And uh, I really uh, wrestled through my own emotional garbage. And to be honest, Carol, you know, my husband, how in the world could he pick somebody like me if if he didn't have some struggles of his own? Exactly. Um, he came through a background that was almost religiously abusive. Um, it was it was the the far opposite of mine, and so he dealt with a lot of anger and rage, and um, he had a very twisted perception of who God was. And I was just stepping into this place where I was falling in love with God, and he was stepping out of it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. And we found ourselves on opposite tracks. So I cannot tell you the fight, the battle that it took under our roof for us to hold tight to one another and not to give up. And especially in the circumstances that we found ourselves in, because it seemed that as soon as all of this devastating um, circumstances would happen around us, we would begin to climb our way out of a ditch, and then somebody would shove us back down it again. And I just, year after year, we would encounter job losses and a financial failure and then a death of a loved one. I, I lost my grandmother and my stepfather, who I was very close to, um, and we buried both of them, along with having had buried his mother and our twin uh, baby. And... And then we stepped into another crazy season where we finally had been able to get to a point of having some financial stability and building a home for ourselves. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, after we had been in that home a few years, someone knocked on our door to tell us they had purchased our house at foreclosure. And I thought they were nuts. I'm like, no, you've lost your mind. You're at the wrong house. I'm so sorry. We've made our payments. And I kind of shrugged him off and shut the door. And he was persistent. And long story short, we found out there was a horrible clerical error with our mortgage company. And they had, in fact, illegally and mistakenly foreclosed on our home. And so um, even through fighting that with attorneys, we wound up losing the home and having to walk through a lawsuit. I never imagined myself being in a court situation. But, you know, it just felt like over and over and over we're facing devastation after devastation after devastation. And you, you start to ask those questions, you know, what is going on? You know, why? Why can I not get two feet on solid ground? It is incredibly, incredibly hard. 
Through all this and looking back into your life as a child, how did you deal with forgiveness? Oh, um, you know, I know that there are so many people that wrestle with forgiveness, but I think that it's twofold for me. Number one, I see so clearly the horrible things that I did to people in the past. Um, not necessarily because I was on a mission to do that, but because I was on a self-seeking mission. I was on a mission to do what Lori wanted. And in that process, I destroyed people around me. And not because, again, not because that was um, what I was focused on, but because that was the consequence of the choices that I was making. So because I could see so clearly um, how awful I had been, I knew that it was not going to be okay for me to hold on to that poison of unforgiveness if I was going to hope that anyone would forgive me. And then also, Carol, to be honest, as I began to, to search for God and I began to understand more and more who he is and how incredibly he loves us, I began to see, see things more from his perspective In that, I asked him, you know, show me how you see others. Show me the potential that you see in others. Let me understand that. And that did come from that passion and building. You know, I grew that that moment of a shouting match with my stepfather into a business. And in that business of stripping and restoring houses, I began to understand as a visionary what it means to look at something and only see its potential and not be afraid of all of the mess. I'm never afraid of the mess, Carol, when I walk up on a house (laughs) that is... Um, is in its worst state. I just see the beauty and the potential. And so I began to ask that of the Lord in the lives of women. You know, let me see the potential in them. And there's something extraordinary in that. When we understand that he loves them the same way that he loves us, that he loves our worst enemy the same way he loves us, and to ask him to let us see their potential, it will change our perspective of how we see people. And that was how I was able to walk out forgiveness, uh, especially with my biological father. Was there a, a, a moment, a, like a pivotal moment, when you realized that you wanted to start helping women be, who had gone through what you had gone through, or is that just a process? You know what? Um, that's such a great question, because there was an extraordinary process where I walked out of that um, bondage, I guess you would call it, of a panic disorder. That was a process. That was a process of me not seeking after myself anymore and beginning to seek after God. But um, the place that I that I came to where I began to uh, seek serving others was a pivotal moment. And I learned, I'm just going to take half a step back, I learned that in my desperation, we had hit a point with a struggle with our business again and Uh, Instead of focusing on the loss and focusing on the failure and focusing on the struggle, I determined that I wasn't going to do that, that I was going to find a place in our community to serve. And I I went out that week and I found a place and I served uh, with that at that place uh, passionately for five years, helping some of our underprivileged in the community every week for five years. And I hit uh, 2012, and I had a profound experience with God that I never thought was possible. And he said, 
I have you in this place. I was in a women's conference at the time. He said, Lori, I have you in this place to see someone as an example. It was the person speaking. And he said, and he called her by name, which amazed me. I don't know if people know this, but we are on a first name basis with God. And that (laughs) floored me. But he said, you are here to see her as an example. You will share your testimony with women. You will speak and you will teach. And can I just tell you, Carol, my first response to him was, no, 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 absolutely not. I will not do it. I can't do it. You're crazy. I cannot do this. I've never shared my testimony. I can't teach. I barely graduated high school. And I mean, by the seat of my pants, barely graduated high school. I had like a 1.4 or 1.7. I'm talking about top of the class. Um, And so I... I did not know how to respond to that, but I had been in this precious place of surrender with God and asking him to use me, asking him not to let me waste my life on me. I didn't want to get to the end of my life and to know that I had spent all of it on my own desires. I wanted to serve him. So I had that moment of panic of no, 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 no. And and then I repented and I said, yes, I will do it. And so my serving from helping the underprivileged in the community tangibly, uh, hands-on, moved from that into going into some really hard places and meeting groups of women and saying, let me share my story with you and let me teach you uh, what it means to have hope and let me teach you who is so madly in love with you that they cannot take their eyes off of you. Let me teach you about this God. And so it allowed me to connect with some incredible women in our community. That began a journey of me reaching out and teaching women here that have come out of prostitution, prison, addiction, domestic violence, human trafficking, um, you name it, just all kinds of incredible backgrounds. And I wanted them to know that they could look at me and they may look at me and think that I haven't touched a, a dirty thing in my life. But when they begin to hear my story, they know that we connect on a level that some people don't connect on and that they're loved and that they're worthy. And it doesn't matter what they've done. That, um, that God sees them as incredible and he only sees the potential that is in them. And I wanted them to know him because I knew that knowing that God would bring them hope this world can offer. You come from a place of passion, of empathy, of sympathy, of depth that many people do not even begin to comprehend. And all of that just shows me the warmth I'm almost in tears, Lori, listening to your story. And it's not because I feel sorry for you. It's because you took what could have been meant for destruction and turned it into something beautiful. And you're not only just doing that for yourself and those who are near to you, your family, but you are doing it for those who are underprivileged, who are hurting, who are broken. And they have to see that part of you. They have to see that love and that that desire to help them. And as you shared so clearly, that comes because God asked you to do that. Yes. And because he has instilled in you that desire. This is just the beginning, isn't it? Yes. This is going to go far, far beyond what you can imagine, I am sure. So I really appreciate what you shared. Now tell us what exactly you are doing as far as hands-on. Can you share any any specifics about that? 
Well, um, I, you know, it's kind of evolved. It started out with me walking into some organizations locally here in Knoxville that work with women who have some really difficult past and teaching them. And in that process of teaching them, um, God's word is what I'm teaching them. I'm teaching them how to find hope through him and how to know who they are uh, through God's eyes, not through this world's eyes. I don't care what the world calls you. I don't care what you've done in this place. I want you to know how God sees you. And in that process, I began writing a book for them, writing a study. And for three years, I brought the pages printed out for them uh, each week for us to go through as our study lesson. And it was on different women of the Bible and the eight chapters of the Song of Solomon. And I just have to give honor to Pastor Ryan Wyatt. He taught a study on the Song of Solomon from this perspective of understanding God's affections. And it captivated me. And when it did that, I knew that it would offer healing to the women that I was teaching. And I asked him permission, you know, can I dig into this further and can I write this for these women? And so for three years, I would go in and we would just dig through Song of Solomon and I would explain to them the poetic allegory of what these affections are between a king and a Shulamite and what that looks like between us, who God loves, and him as our king. And so the women and I every week would just dig through this study with these other women of the Bible and this book of the Song of Solomon, and it was transforming them. And it would blow my mind because they would bounce up and down on their seats, so filled with excitement to understand God's love. And then I began to feel a nudge to publish this book, which is the book that's been newly published for me. It's called How He Loves Us, Revealing the Affections of God. So now I'm... I'm kind of, everything I'm doing is somewhat multifaceted. I've got a, a study going in our community with that book. I'm offering some one-day conferences with churches who want to offer this for their women. We're doing this um, completely uh, at no cost for any churches or organizations anywhere, not just in our Knoxville area. Um, because I just long to see this word, this message, transform the lives of, of women. And um, and then I continue to do work with different organizations or anyone who just needs someone to come in and give uh, clarity and love and in a teaching from the Bible. Or uh, there are women who want to serve and mentor other women to know how to do that effectively. We offer with we offer one-day mentoring conferences to different organizations, again, at no cost. So we're trying to get our hands out, not only in, in Knox or Tennessee, but in communities all over in order to bring hope and, and restoration to the lives of women. That's amazing. You also answered my next question, which basically was, is your book good for people who haven't gone through the kind of things that you you have gone through? And obviously it is, and it's a study guide, and it's to bring understanding in that who we are and that we are loved, and I'm sure that there's a guide with it as well. Yes. So um, the book is wonderful. It's geared toward women, but it's wonderful for anyone who wants to dig in uh, the stories of some different women of the Bible and line by line uh, what that poetic allegory of the Song of Solomon Solomon, uh, means. And so it really has a lot to offer to anyone. But you read it knowing that my heart was pouring out to women who were 
Okay, but currently teaching that study specifically to women who are just in the church who really wanted to be a part of it. So there's some excitement around it in different areas of our community. A few years for me to research the original language and to make sure that every word of that was correct in how it was translated and interpreted. Wow, that took a lot of work. That's fabulous. Again, Lori, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your heart. Oh, my goodness. That was raw, and it was beautiful, and I know that there are going to be people who will relate to that. I grew up in a minister's home, wonderful childhood, and yet there are things that you said that I can relate to. Different times in our lives, we we can tap into different places that we have been, things that we have felt. You know, when you were talking about what you went through that caused your, you know, many of your disorders that, that you had to overcome. I mean, many women suffer from from those types of disorders from a variety of situations. And so I know that you touched many hearts, and I so appreciate you sharing from yours to anybody who would like to connect with you. All that information will be in the show notes and they can share from their heart, whether it's a a story that um, they have never told anyone before. I have a feeling that you probably enjoy doing one-on-ones with people and really helping them get through some rough times. Am I correct in that? Yes. um, Our heart and the heart of my board Uh, for Out of Ashes Ministries is to really connect individually with our women and to help meet needs and to help uh, be a part of that uh, focus on hope and to know where it comes from and how to find it in the most devastating places. And I think it's so important to recognize too, Carol, that it doesn't just start and and you go through difficult times and it comes clean and perfect. It is a process until the day that we're gone. And so we have to hold tight to the truth that we know about how God feels about us. That is the only way to get through everything we encounter. What an awesome way to summarize. Thank you so much, Lori. And again, thank you for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.